Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Nashville police give the latest updates on the school shooter investigation. Meanwhile, Senator Josh Hawley calls for a federal hate crime investigation. The Babylon Bee CEO testifies before Congress over online censorship. And we examine a government agency's visit to journalist Matt Taibbi that has some lawmakers concerned. FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried charged with bribing Chinese officials worth millions of dollars. Four trillion dollars in spending cuts, that's what Speaker McCarthy says he's ready to lay on the table for President Biden. The two are at an impasse in negotiations to raise the debt ceiling. And Democrats are now saying we have to keep schools open in the case of another pandemic. Lawmakers dig deeper to find out the real impact school closures had on children. Nashville's police chief gave updates on the recent school shooting that left six victims and the shooter dead. The chief said there's no clear motive at this time. Police also released body cam footage. Please be advised that the footage is graphic and may be disturbing. NTD's Arlene Richards has that story. Good afternoon, everyone. Nashville Metro Police Chief John Drake said it wasn't clear why Audrey Hale shot six people at her alma mater. We feel that uh, the students that were targeted were randomly targeted. There was not any particular uh, student uh, that they were, uh, that she was looking for at the time of the incident. Drake said he believed the shooter was targeting the church. He later spoke to her parents. We've determined uh, that Audrey bought seven firearms uh, from five different uh, local gun stores here legally. Uh, they were legally purchased. Uh, three of those weapons were used yesterday uh, during this horrific tragedy. The shooter had been under a doctor's care for an emotional disorder. She had several different writings identifying various locations in the school, including drawings of entrances. Earlier Tuesday, police released surveillance footage of the shooter entering the school building, as well as body cam footage of the two officers who reportedly shot her. Surveillance video shows a person arriving at the school parking lot and entering the building by shooting through the glass doors. It later shows her walking through the school hallways and entering different doors, pointing a gun. Body cam footage shows officers entering the building and confronting the shooter. In the video, she appears to be firing at officers outside from a second floor window when officers killed her. Hale, who identified as transgender and used the name Aiden, sent a final goodbye on Instagram to a former middle school friend. Her childhood friend, Averiana Patton, described her reaction to receiving the message. And when I initially saw it, I'm like, you know, I'm still working. I'm still, like, not really, you know, understanding what's happening right now. Hale told Patton she planned to die today and that this wasn't a joke. In a letter to the FBI and Homeland Security on Tuesday, Senator Josh Hawley called for a federal hate crime investigation. A crime that, according to Nashville police, specifically targeted, that's their word, targeted, the members of this Christian community. President Biden said at an event in North Carolina on Tuesday that there was a moral price to pay for inaction. He again urged Congress to pass a ban on what he calls assault weapons. Arlene Richards, NTD News.
Attorney General Merrick Garland said at an unrelated hearing today that he's working full-time with National Nashville Police to try and determine what the motive is. He said motive would determine whether it's a hate crime or not. And next, we'll look at another congressional hearing on big tech censorship. A House committee today invited witnesses to testify on free speech and online censorship. Seth Dillon, the CEO of the Babylon Bee, joined a congressional hearing on big tech censorship on Tuesday. He told lawmakers on the Communications and Technology Subcommittee how his company faced censorship for publishing political satire. Our experience with big tech censorship dates back to 2018, when Facebook started working with fact checkers to crack down on the spread of misinformation. We published a headline that read, CNN purchases industrial-sized washing machine to spin the news before publication. Snopes rated that story false, prompting Facebook to threaten us with a permanent ban. In May 2022, Twitter suspended the Babylon Bee for publishing a joke that said the Babylon Bee's man of the year is Rachel Levine. Levine is the Assistant Secretary for Health at the Department of Health and Human Services and identifies as a woman. They locked our account for hateful conduct, and we spent the next eight months in Twitter jail. We learned the hard way that censorship guards the narrative, not the truth. In fact, it guards the narrative at the expense of the truth. Elon Musk bought Twitter in October last year and reinstated the Babylon Bee on the platform. Journalist Michael Schellenberger also testified at the hearing. But what if the shoe were on the other foot? Consider how you would feel if the following occurred. Twitter suspended a woman for saying trans women are women. Facebook censored accurate information about COVID vaccine benefits. Twitter censored a Harvard professor for saying children needed to be COVID-vaxxed annually. The vice chair of the subcommittee, Republican Congressman Buddy Carter, also voiced his concerns. The trust in the federal government is, is a historical low. It's also low with the um, social media companies. So when the two of these combined uh, or collide, then Americans are worried and concerned. And I think we're all concerned here. In his testimony, Dillon called on lawmakers to consider legal action to protect against viewpoint censorship, including potential reforms to Section 230. This law provides immunity to online platforms that post third-party content. The Communications and Technology Subcommittee has sole jurisdiction over proposed reforms to Section 230. Reporting by Allison Lee, NTD News. And Representative Jim Jordan is demanding answers from the IRS after the agency sent one of its agents to the home of investigative journalist Matt Taibbi the day that he testified before Congress's select subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government in its hearing on the Twitter files earlier this month. And earlier today, I spoke with Epic Times contributor and Brownstone Institute President Jeffrey Tucker for his analysis of the incident. Jeffrey Tucker, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming back on. It's a pleasure. Now, the IRS's house visit to journalist Matt Taibbi's raising, well, goosebumps for some, and as you've said, it's raising serious questions. What concerns you most about it? Well, it looks like an example of extreme politicization of the agency, uh, which is, you know, now operating as an agent of, of the administrative state. What's fascinating about this in some ways is that um, Matt Taibbi didn't reveal anything in the Twitter files that impacted on the IRS as such. 
which but it did uh, reveal a lot about the FBI and and other deep state actors that were out there especially NIH and CDC and and many other people so what it suggests to me and this is the thing that alarmed me when i heard the news is that there's some sort of coordination going on between these agencies and that the IRS is being used as a sort of a political hit arm for administrative state actors if that's true, uh, that's very alarming. And I think there's a presumption that tax collection in this country would be politically neutral. And I know there are occasions when some presidents in the past and some political actors in the past have used the IRS to to do their uh, their their sort of dirty work, you know, um, uh, in polit various political wars and that sort of thing. But it's it's been very uncommon. But this seemed to be just flat out routine, and and it can't be a coincidence. It happened on the same day that he was testifying and revealing everything that he had learned. And uh, you could tell from the anger in the hearings that that Taibbi was in, in a great deal of trouble. So uh, it's, it's very, it's profoundly disturbing. Most of the legacy media outlets haven't paid much attention to this story yet. How do you see their attitude towards the Twitter files in the context of the First Amendment? Well, the Twitter files are actually the most remarkable example of, of, of censorship I've, I've seen in my lifetime. And, but the only places you're really going to read about it is on Substack and Brownstone and Epoch and a handful of other venues. We're talking about a very serious constitutional right here. If you can't speak and, you, and a government can shut you down, then you're not really living in a democracy. You're not really living in a free society. So uh, this is very foundational to who we are as Americans. And the Twitter files revealed that you've got a, 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 a junta out there, a very powerful, permanent government that's, that's attacking these values at their very core. And so what do you think should be done to ensure that Americans aren't being targeted unfairly for their views and beliefs and by any government agency? Well, we need to uh, place a higher value on the First Amendment and make sure that the courts back that up. Uh, now, one problem we have is that we don't really have a mechanism in place to prevent this from happening again, even if the courts decide uh, against uh, Fauci and NIH and the whole machinery of COVID controls, including the FBI and, and even the IRS. I mean, like, if the courts decide against them, I mean, what exactly are the penalties? You know, who's going to have to pay any fines if nobody pays any price at all? And it becomes completely unenforceable. These court judgments themselves are, you know, become irrelevant. So, what I see is the ultimate solution here, and the only way to get back our free speech rights and all the rights in, in the Bill of Rights is um, something actually much more fundamental. We need to dramatically cut their budgets. I mean, like if, if we get a serious uh, Congress out there, I would like to see dramatic uh, cuts in the budgets of all these agencies. In fact, I would like to go much further and just see a big list of all 238 agencies, whatever there are, and a red pen put through uh, as many as possible, as soon as possible. It's the only way to uh, ultimately protect American rights and liberties. All right, thank you so much, Jeffrey Tucker, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute and contributor to the Epic Times. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, thank you. Even more charges on FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried. Prosecutors now say he's bribed Chinese officials. FTX filed for bankruptcy on November 11th after the cryptocurrency equivalent of a bank run. 
Bankman Freed has pleaded not guilty to charges that he defrauded investors. Now he's accused of violating the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. According to the new charges, Chinese authorities froze certain Alameda crypto trading accounts in early 2021. Alameda is a crypto trading firm linked to FTX. Bankman-Fried allegedly tried to pay off the officials with $40 million in an effort to unfreeze the accounts. The accounts held more than a billion dollars of digital assets. They were released after the payment was transferred. Bankman-Fried is free on a $250 million bond. He's staying with his parents in Palo Alto, California. And on the government's budget, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is pressing President Biden on cutting spending as the two are now forced to work out a deal for raising the nation's $31.4 trillion debt cap. McCarthy says he's prepared to lay out a plan that would save $4 trillion. And TD's Melina Weiskup is on Capitol Hill with more. So this is sort of an informal proposal. The speaker sent a letter to President Biden trying to put pressure on him to engage in negotiation talks with House Republicans on tightening the budget in exchange for raising the debt ceiling. In that letter, McCarthy laid out a few areas that the GOP is focused on, such as reducing non-government spending. This includes things such as federal uh, funding for federal programs. Another idea is to rescind unspent co COVID money and impose work requirements for Americans to receive federal assistance. McCarthy says that this that proposals like this could save around four trillion dollars. I asked House Minority Leader Steve Scalise exactly how. Here's what he said. Everybody's looking for workers and yet the federal government is paying millions of people about 30 to 40 thousand dollars a year to sit at home makes absolutely no sense. If you're borrowing money from China to pay somebody who's fully able-bodied to sit at home. Meanwhile, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is taking aim at the president for not meeting with him again to discuss the debt ceiling. The last time the two met was two months ago. The president has uh, misled the members of Congress, misled the American public that uh, that he was going to negotiate. He hasn't done that. I don't know what he's afraid of in the process. The White House responded to McCarthy saying that Republicans should agree to a clean debt ceiling and that if they are serious about trying to have a conversation about the budget, they say Republicans should put out a solid budget proposal. Democrats on Capitol Hill echoing this. Speaker McCarthy's letter was a couple bullet points. Bullet points don't make a budget. And uh, what we want to see out of House Republicans is uh, what is your budget? What do you value? On the other hand, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy has gotten praise from members on the House Freedom Caucus. And this group has been leading the effort and putting together an actual plan for those spending cuts. And on a different note, but still related, Republicans say the key to easing inflation is to increase domestic energy production. They did begin to debate on a bill today called the Lower Energy Cost Act. Now, the White House has already committed to to vetoing this bill, and Senate Leader Chuck Schumer says that it's dead on arrival in the Senate. But the chairman of the Natural Resource Committee tells me that that he's in discussion with some moderate Democrats in the Senate to try to pull some strings and hopefully leverage some action. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskopf, NTD News. The Department of Defense says a Republican senator is threatening national security. The Alabama senator is refusing to agree to any new military promotions. He says it's a response to the Pentagon's abortion policies. Last month, 
Dozens of red states passed laws limiting access to abortions. This came after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade last year. In response, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin announced that the Pentagon would cover travel costs for service members in those states seeking abortions and provide up to 21 days off. Protesting this policy, Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville decided to block 160 senior military promotions. On Tuesday, Austin spoke at a Senate hearing where he said the senator's actions are a threat to national security. Not approving the recommendation for promotions actually creates a ripple effect through the force that makes us far less ready than we need to be. Austin says this comes at a time of high tensions with Russia, China, and Iran. Later in the hearing, Tuberville responded, saying, My hold has nothing to do with the Supreme Court's decision to the access of abortion. This is about not forcing the taxpayers of this country to fund abortion. When implementing the policy last month, the Pentagon argued that service members stationed in certain states now have less access to abortions than other service members. Tuberville on Tuesday said that this has always been the case. Poland's restrictive policies, Japan, Djibouti, all these theaters have, have, have abortion policies. As of 12 days ago, y'all got the, the American taxpayer on the hook to pay for travel and time off for elective abortions. He added that it's supposed to be Congress that implements such laws, not the Pentagon. In other Pentagon news, some House Republicans are reportedly calling on the DOD to fire four of its doctors. NTD previously reported on the doctors who wrote this article for the American Journal of Public Health. In the article, they appeared to advocate for cross-sex procedures for the kids of service members. They went as far as to say that children can begin participating in their medical decision-making as early as age seven years. Now, the Daily Caller received this letter, which was reportedly sent by House Republicans to Secretary Austin, calling on the doctors to be fired. The letter says, if DOD advocates for the chemical castration of seven-year-old children to further a radical left-wing political agenda, we lose our moral standing in the world. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. Lawmakers are now looking at the impact school closures had on children, and they want to know if the government's decision to close schools was based on solid evidence. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. According to a January 2023 McKinsey report, we've been set back two decades of progress in learning because of this pandemic. Lawmakers on the select subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic wanted to know the full impact school closures had on students. Virginia Gentles, the director of the Education Freedom Center at the Independent Women's Forum, gave some details. The average public school student grades three to eight lost the equivalent of half year of learning in math and a quarter year of learning in reading, and many lost much more. Because schools with large numbers of low-income and minority students were closed the longest, school, school closures resulted in the largest increase in educational inequity in a generation. Lawmakers also want to know if the government's decision to not reopen schools sooner was based on solid evidence. Dr. Tracy Hogue, an epidemiologist, said schools should have reopened much sooner and possibly should have never closed at all. Being Danish, I had also watched what happened in Denmark and I saw that they reopened their schools there after six weeks of closures in April of 2020. There were no major outbreaks um, mm -hmm. and the pattern was the same across Europe. 
across the U.S. it was we were, we were getting more sort of fear-mongering messaging about the mm. risks of COVID-19 to children and how often they transmitted the virus that we were seeing in the media. And on the other hand, there was this hopeful mes message in Europe about children are not spreading COVID-19 in, right. in the schools as, as much as we had feared and were able to reopen the schools. But Representative Kwesi Mfume saw things differently. I would also caution against this notion of always comparing what we did in the U.S. against what they did in Europe to suggest how somehow or another that, that it should have been the same. And Representative Raul Ruiz added this. Let me just make it very clear. Uh, the goal of all of us uh, on this side of the uh, panel, and I'm assuming on the both sides, is to keep schools open even in the next pandemic by equipping them with the tools and the protocols and all of the equipment necessary in order to help reduce transmission as well as keeping uh, keeping our students, the teachers, the nurses and everybody safe. Jason Perry, NTD News. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. Coming up, at least 40 people are believed dead after a fire erupts at a migrant facility in Mexico. The facility is just feet from the U.S. border. And a gray whale was recently spotted off the coast of Southern California. The massive animal just kept swimming despite missing an important body part. Stay tuned for more after this short break. Turning now to international news, at least 40 people have died after a fire at a migrant center in Ciudad Juarez last night. The city is just feet from the U.S. border near El Paso, Texas. Most of the victims are believed to be Venezuelan. The Mexican president said the migrants at the center started the blaze as a protest against deportation. They reportedly put mattresses on the doors of the building and set fire to them. At the time, 68 men from Central and South America were being held at the facility. In addition to the fatalities, 29 people were injured and are in serious condition. Large numbers of first responders and volunteers arrived at the scene to help victims. The fire is one of the deadliest to hit the country in years. The president of Mexico is expected to visit Ciudad Juarez on Friday. And in Europe, France is seeing its 10th nationwide day of protests and strikes. Tens of thousands marched on the streets of Paris and other cities while workers blocked train tracks and motorways. And while unions plea with the government to pause its hotly contested pension reform, public frustration has evolved into broader anti-Macron sentiment. NTD's France correspondent David Vives has the details. French protesters clashed with police in some cities as they marched across the country on Tuesday against President Emmanuel Macron's deeply unpopular pension bill. In the western city of Nantes, the boarded-up front of a bank branch was set on fire, while some demonstrators shot fireworks at police. In Marseille, protesters blocked train tracks for a while. In Paris, between 90 and 450,000 demonstrators took to the streets. Some media outlets have reported that the protests are taking a turn, seeing an increase of violence and clashes with police. 
Demonstrators in Paris we spoke to confirmed this trend. I think there's a climate of violence that comes from above, clearly, and the demonstrations, I think, they are wanted by the government too, and we have someone on top who's obviously adding fuel to the fire. The protest started over the pension reform, and now I think it's a completely different protest. In any case, I'm here for more than just the pensions. I'm not just here to protest the reform. I'm here to protest against the person. There's a climate of violence. It's not fueled by the police. It's fueled by the state. It's the government that gives orders. It's the ministers who enforce and the prefects who carry out what they are asked to do. Many protesters say they are here not only because of the pension reform, but also due to Macron's attitude toward the people. This Yellow Vest protesters says it's not only about the pension reform, but about people struggling to pay their bills and make a living. At the beginning it was just a normal demonstration, but now I feel that the people are extremely upset because of the purchasing power, inflation, the price of fuel. It's always the same people, the MPs and so on, who always get away with their salaries. Whereas we, at the end of the month, on the fifth of the month, we're running out of money and we can't cope anymore. And we're here because it has to stop. It really has to stop. They really need to realize that there are mothers who can no longer feed their children and make ends meet. It's really difficult. Official figures say over 700,000 of protesters on Tuesday marched in France. More demonstrations are scheduled next week. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. And finally, a gray whale recently spotted off the coast of Southern California is being hailed as the miracle whale. It made a long migration while missing a very important body part. When there's a whale, there's a way for this gray whale. Despite missing its tail, a migrating gray whale just kept swimming. It persevered and continued its migratory trip from its feeding grounds in Alaska to its breeding grounds in Mexico. That's a 12,000-mile round-trip migration. This miracle whale was first spotted on March 13th, swimming off the coast of Newport Beach. Whale experts say the injury looks to be several years old and was likely caused by its being tangled in commercial fishing gear, causing it to fall off. But that hasn't stopped this whale from swimming to and from Alaska to Mexico, proving that anything is possible. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.